This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Patrick Woods, co-founder and CEO of Orbit. Late 2019, we raised our first capital, like a pre-seed round, pre-product, because our theory was that, yeah, so we said, look, somebody's going to, we need to reimagine the go-to-market tech stack based on these new ideas, these new data models, these new mental models. And nobody's done this and somebody's gonna like figure out what does CRM look like in the context of community? If community-driven growth, if product-led growth is real, how can we retool the tech stack to make that real? So yeah, so we said, not only that, there's gonna be a retooling, but it needs to be reimagined from first principles. And so we said the Orbit model is kind of like the thing that we're gonna try to build this on, so. This is Patrick. He's a tech entrepreneur on a mission. He has more than 10 years of marketing and customer success experience. He's the co-founder of the Orbit Model, host of the Developer Love podcast, and the author of the Brand Strategy Canvas. He co-founded Orbit in September 2019, on the strong belief that software is no longer sold, but adopted, and that value creation beats value capture. The sales funnel is about creating value, but that only works short term. For sustainable growth, community can drive long-term adoption through value creation, and that's exactly the mission behind Orbit. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Patrick to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the way we think about community. Patrick shares his vision around the opportunity the SaaS industry has by becoming community-driven. He shares his big lessons learned to create bottom-up traction in an extremely fragmented market, and how growth accelerated during COVID purely fueled by their big idea. And last but not least, he explains how having a compelling mission has helped them to attract the right talent. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how a healthy and growing community de-risks and accelerates every part of your business. Secondly, how to create a self-sustaining flywheel for growth around your SaaS business, purely driven by content, instead of the big campaigns or outbound sales. Thirdly, how to maximize your growth opportunity by balancing value capturing with value creation activities. And fourthly, 
that starting a successful community is not about the platform you choose, but about articulating why anyone would care joining your community. Well, hi, Patrick. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. Very excited to have this conversation. Yeah, well, exactly for me. I'm a big pro community person. I think there's an incredible potential for community. I'm actually amazed that so little B2B software companies leverage community. So yeah, we're looking forward to this interview and what you've achieved in the last almost three years now. Three years, exactly. So before we start, just a little bit about you as an entrepreneur. If you would have to give two or three words that that characterize you, what words would come out? So I think maybe curious is probably one. I think I curious slash learning. Maybe those are two sides of the same coin, but I'm intrigued by new ideas, new things, and really understanding why things are happening that could be in the market. It could be internal, interpersonal dynamics, people stuff. I've really found that curiosity has been a helpful way to reframe any sort of potential fight or flight instincts we might have, you know, when something is making us uncomfortable or stressful or stressed out, I should say. And I've tried, especially the past couple of years to adopt a very curious mindset and say, instead of reacting from the amygdala, you know, and sort of like getting afraid or getting scared or wanting to, you know, question someone back aggressively, it's more about, you know, I wonder why this is happening or this person is saying this thing or this customer is behaving in a certain way. So I think curiosity has been a big part of it. So curiosity and learning, I think a lot about, I try to bring empathy to the work as well. It's hard to balance. I think that with, I don't know, wanting to strike a balance between pushing people to be their best and also being thoughtful and kind about the approach to that. So that's the sort of attention I think a lot about, but hopefully it's serving me well. I guess you could ask my team (laughs) if that's working or not. No, but I mean, I already like that these words are coming out because I think that these are very important characteristics of a leader. And I also like that you bring up, well, kind of that you link curiosity to reframing. And I think it's really connected to the empathy part as well, to try to understand the other side. I actually literally came from a discussion today whereby we're looking into the segmentation of a particular software company and try to really get the empathy of like why certain companies actually would be better off with the competition. The Mm. first thing you always see is this negative approach, like like they're crazy. They shouldn't have done that. No, but these people aren't crazy either. You know, they make decisions because they think it's the right thing. And if you can get behind that, super powerful. Ask those questions and have empathy for it. I like it. Okay. So you've had a long career in the customer experience space and then decided in like the last quarter of 2019 to start the co-found Orbit. So yeah, was it driven by curiosity? <laughs> I would say so. It's really, I think Orbit is the confluence of several threads for me. First part of my career was was digital marketing, brand advertising, was in an ad agency for many years doing brand strategy and things like that. During that time, I hosted a lot of events. I had several small communities that I started and I kind of got the community bug, if you will, for doing like in-person meetups and events and presentations and all sorts of fun stuff. And so I kind of got hooked on the unexpected outcomes that occur when you bring people together and create a space for connection. And, you know, it was, this was in Memphis, Tennessee, my hometown. And I produced with some friends, you know, monthly meetups and mixers and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, over the course of a few years, you know, hundreds of people would come to our events monthly. And we heard people getting jobs and going on dates, getting married from like meeting at our events. And it was just very cool to be able to facilitate and curate those experiences. Then 
at the ad agency, one of my clients was a company called Keen IO. Keen was a you know San Francisco based startup in the developer space. So I was in an analytics API essentially. So fairly technical product, high growth startup, Sequoia backed. So they recruited me to come lead their customer success team and actually build it out. And so at Keen, that's where I met my co-founder, Josh. He was VP of engineering there. But it's also where I learned about community in the context of a business. So I'd seen the power of getting people together sort of in the real world just for fun. But Keen had a huge developer community of people using the tools, building projects. It was a big part of the go-to-market. It was a big part of support. And for me, I realized then, and one of the central premises of Orbit today is that a healthy and growing community actually de-risks and accelerates pretty much every part of the business. So it helps drive awareness. It helps get your product feedback faster. You can recruit from the community oftentimes. And it was such a powerful thing to see all of the things I had learned from my previous experience, you know, running casual, you know, personal communities, actually seeing it work inside of a business. And it meant that value was being created for the community members themselves. So connection and education and people getting jobs and starting companies together. So tons of value creation was happening between the, the community members themselves. But for the company that benefit accrued in the form of lower customer acquisition costs and better retention and new leads from the community. And you know, really for me and Josh, it was just sort of like, it was eye-opening. And we realized that developer-centric companies, open source companies, infrastructure, you know, databases, all these sort of like different types of platforms They've had a community-led go-to-market for a very long time. And so at Keen, we started to do some pattern matching around what that could look like. And so after Keen, Josh and I went to a couple of companies, other companies. And then in 2018, late 2018, Josh and I were both between jobs. Like we were both doing startup stuff and kind of between gigs. And we started consulting. So we started a little consultancy kind of in the developer relations, developer community space to do some project work, to do some strategy work. And it was very fun. We worked with companies like Square and Snowflake and a bunch of other companies. But the main upside from that time was just the pattern matching from hundreds of conversations with leaders in the category. And we realized a couple of different themes. Every person we spoke with, and these were predominantly you know, directors or VPs of community or heads of developer relations, primarily inside of developer companies, everybody was trying to measure the impact of their community. They were much like Keen, had a huge community, part of their go-to-market, but they didn't know how to like measure ROI. And what we realized is that every person was trying to use the sales funnel as the metaphor to measure community. Because if you think about it, the funnel is sort of like the only metaphor in business that's sort of applied. And we realized that the funnel is a metaphor and a data model that's very helpful for optimizing a linear or binary problem. So like a product onboarding where every single person goes through the same four steps and you can tweak every step or an enterprise sales process where you can like, just like change every little step to like make it perfect. But if you know anything about how communities work, they're not linear and they're not binary. And so the mental model really breaks down. And so it didn't feel right to us. So we actually, we took a step back and tried to reason from first principles, can community be measured? What would it look like if it could be? And we thought about our experience at Keen and other companies we had worked at and all the conversations we were having in the consulting practice. And we said, instead of trying to push people through a pre-prescribed set of steps like the funnel, In community, you should actually flip that around and try to create what we call high gravity experiences that are naturally attractive. And if you do that, you can actually measure a couple of components of gravity. Reach is one of them. So how influential are the people in your community? But the other is a metric we called love. It's kind of fun Uh to call call it love. It's like a, a little 
orthogonal from like engagement or some you know very marketing terms. And so the theory is that to measure love, it's you need to know the recency, frequency, and quality of every community member's participation over time. Uh-huh. And if you know that, you can identify which cohorts are really leaning in, who's fading away, where your potential champions and advocates are. And so that was a blog post we posted over three years ago, well before the company started. And it was pretty much, you know, like, honestly, we thought it was a cool idea, but we thought it was just going to be like, quote unquote, thought leadership for the consulting practice. But it really hit a nerve. And people started to ask us how to apply it, how to scale it. Like, they're like, great, we want to apply the orbit model. And so we we put some templates out there. We like had a small community. And so, yeah, in late 2019, we raised our first capital, like a pre-seed round pre-product because our theory was that, yeah. So we said, look, somebody's going to, we need to reimagine the go-to-market tech stack based on these new ideas, these new data models, these new mental models. And nobody's done this. And somebody's going to like figure out what does CRM look like in the context of community. If community-driven growth, if product-led growth is real, how can we retool the tech stack to make that real? So yeah. So we said, not only that, there's going to be a retooling, but it needs to be reimagined from first principles. And so we said the Orbit model is kind of like the thing that we're going to try to build this on. So yeah, that was late 2019 and we've been building ever since. So the story of Orbit kind of goes way back for me. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And well, thanks for clarifying that. And yes, taking us through the, through the whole, the thinking behind it. And so many people start from a consultancy perspective and then you, you stumble upon something and that becomes the, yeah, the main idea behind the business. And uh, now I also understand why your email ends with orbit.love. That's right. <laughs> um, it's a fantastic talk trigger. It's really what it's all about. I mean, I've been following community and I'm building myself one, but it's really about once it starts, that is sort of the word that you can apply to it. Yeah, exactly. Because people want to be part of it. There's belonging creation created. I also now agree and see more clearly now how you fit in this whole landscape. I mean, I told you before we started that one of my customers is inside it. And there's many more companies in this space. But they're, how do you say that? Solving a different problem in this whole landscape. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So you already, I mean, normally I ask, what's the opportunity if you get this right? And I think you answered that already. So yeah, let me then take this, like wind back until like when you started, because the community platform landscape was already there. It wasn't that there were not community platforms out there. I mean, I've been using, for example, companies like Mighty Network for a while. And of Uh course, you can even say Facebook has already been in this space for a long time. How did you start? And how did you find that unique, defensible spot that you could own? Yeah, great question. So when we were doing the consulting thing, we realized that every customer, every every client, every prospect, you know, community was a huge part of what they were doing for their company. And yet the community was distributed across a dozen or more channels online and offline. So, yeah. you know, a typical Orbit customer today, and this is true of the consulting practice, they would have to maintain many platforms. So a forum plus a live chat like Slack or Discord, plus Twitter, plus Product Hunt, plus Reddit, plus Stack Overflow, Eventbrite, Meetup, you know, and it's an unending, you know, list of tools. And we realized that community is, it's increasingly distributed and the community members will interact with each other and the brand wherever they want. I think gone are the days of trying to have a single platform to rule them all. Yeah. That's just not the way the world works. And so 
that's great for the end community member because they can interact wherever they want. It's a huge challenge for the company operating the community because there's several challenges that come with that. So if you're maintaining 15, 20 plus platforms, it means your team is having to keep an eye on every single channel. So you can be responsive, so you can make connections. So that's time consuming. You also have data problems because all of your information is siloed into those platforms and maybe they don't have great APIs and maybe you can't get the data out. And so this was, excuse me, I, uh, as a side note, I sang karaoke two nights ago at this conference we've been at. So my throat's a little bit, it's a little bit scratchy today. So hopefully your guests or your listeners can bear with me on that. We realized that every single person we were speaking with was struggling with this challenge of not having, there's sort of a couple layers to this. They didn't have the data to make better decisions because you know, Twitter maybe shows them how many new followers they got this week and their forum might show in aggregate how many conversations happened, but they had no insight into the overall health of the community. And at the individual community member level, there's no view of an individual's journey across those touch points. And so our theory from the beginning has been that the community platform space will continue to grow and fragment and divide, you know, like cells dividing. And so it just means this problem of visibility and data and efficiency is going to get worse and worse for our customers as they add more and more platforms to their stack. So with Orbit, what we try to do is make it really easy to integrate with those end channels. So you show up to Orbit, you plug in your GitHub account, your Discord server, your Twitter account, your Insighted account. And within minutes, we pull in all the data about all the interactions and conversations having across those platforms. So you can see at the individual community member level that you know, Patrick followed you on Twitter last week and then came to your forum and asked several questions about your product. And then the next day created a trial account in the product and then came to a webinar on Thursday and then on Friday converted to a paid plan. And so at the individual level, we can actually disambiguate that user journey across every single touch point in the community, in the product, at your events. As a result of that, there's lots of reporting that you can do. There's lots of workflow automation that you can trigger based on that data. So yeah. yeah, your observation is a great one that community platforms, I mean, have been around for a long time and that sort of the birth rate of community platforms is increasing. And so we get to sit yeah, at this there confluence. Say, yeah. There wasn't a requirement for yet another one. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Some people asked us if we were going to build a forum or build a chat platform. And actually we just want to be the data layer, the workflow layer behind the scenes, the same way, you know, uh, Salesforce or Marketo actually orchestrate all of this work. But if you're the end user, you know, of a business, a customer of a business, you don't ever see Salesforce or HubSpot or Marketo. They, but yeah, they're driving all the work. And so that's sort of where we sit in the stack is we're this workflow orchestration tool, a reporting tool that sits behind the scenes and makes our users more effective across those channels because they have a single pane of glass, a single view of what's going on across all those channels. Exactly. As it evolves, because I've seen pictures of the marketing, the MarTech landscape. Oh yeah, <laughs> five years ago and today, and it's unbelievable. You try to get make soup out of that. Now I understand. Also, like great that you tell me that you're the, sort of the data layer and yeah, the, providing the, the single pane of glass to users to make the right decisions about how to yeah, to grow the community in the right way. So in that journey, what I'm always interested in is okay, well, how do you start? What has been the most important decision or a decision that has been really important for the success you have today? Hmm. I think early on, we decided to invest in content and community, obviously, but specifically creating useful content that 
our customers would find valuable. When we you know, fast forward to today, our primary growth lever is organic search. It's direct traffic. People coming to read our blog about relevant topics and information. So we cover tactical things like if you're trying to migrate your community from a Slack server to a Discord server, like what does that look like? Or if you're just getting started, what are some things that you should be doing or comparing platforms? So very tactical, practical things. The thing about you know content, it's a flywheel that takes a long time to get going, but once it's working, it's almost self-sustaining. So it's so interesting to see signups coming from these blog posts that I wrote you know, two and a half, three years ago, still driving substantial traffic for us. So I think investing in that early has continued to pay off. I think that's gone really well for us. Let me make a small interruption here. Patrick just made an excellent remark about what it was about to create a flywheel for growth behind this business. Not by focusing on only product, but by focusing on helping their customers grow. They're creating fans by being there for them, by making it super easy to adopt the product, grow value, and inspire them to embrace new ways of working. Investing in content from the start has been equally important as investing in product. It's a trade remarkable software company's master. They create something valuable and desirable and then stay ultra curious about what else they can do to help. And then focus on turning customer into fans one after the other and that drives their momentum. You can master these traits as well. And the first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. From a product to technology standpoint, I think the choice to view ourselves as the data, the orchestration, the workflow layer, instead of building another community platform, I think that was, I think that was really right on the market and right on the money. So I think that has paid off as well. So there's probably a lot of other bad decisions. No, no, but I mean, these are <laughs> it's really about like, what is the business you're really in? And it's so, yeah, it's, it's such, there's always this tendency we can make this better. We can do this better. And the world is not looking for better. The world is looking for, yeah, to solve problems and yeah, for a different approach in this case. And I think that's what you achieved. And I completely agree on the content side because I still hear actually today a story as well that's like so many SaaS companies struggle to get, you know, the top of the funnel filled and it's all, you know, how they feel it is by paid, yeah. paid advertising. Just that is, if you can strike a nerve and hit the right nerve with your content, that indeed, I'm a big pro for that. I write every day. I can see it working as well. So yeah. it's an investment, but once it's part of the habit, it's unstoppable. Yep. Let me see. Yeah, in this journey, kind of the important decisions, one thing, but has there ever been a moment where you, you and your role were product strategy-wise, you got stuck? What has been a very hard not to crack at some point that was sort of a make or break? And what did you do about it? Well, I'm not sure we've been around long enough to know if it's make or break yet. <laughs> I guess we'll see on a lot of these decisions. We're increasingly working to, well, this is going to sound obvious, but make Orbit easier to use. Our challenge generally is that you know, our primary user is a you know, head of community, director, or VP, like people building communities. And the market is still fairly nascent. And that means that one of the challenges that comes with that is that the way each community team operates is somewhat different from everyone else. Like every community is yeah. different. The needs are different. You know, you could say every sales team is different too, but you know, inside sales for B2B SaaS has been going on for decades. There are best practices, there's tools, there's workflows, there's frameworks. Community is still evolving. Yeah. And so from a product standpoint, we have to strike a balance between being very prescriptive 
you know, like press this button to start your champions yeah. program versus yeah. providing our users with the sort of Lego blocks, if you will, to put it together how you want. So Orbit up until today has been a very flexible platform, but with flexibility becomes flexibility comes complexity sometimes because you know you have to know how to put the pieces together. And so for our early adopters, this hasn't been a problem because they show up to a conversation with Orbit and they've got six programs running and they just need data and insights and they need to wire it all together. And you can do that with Orbit. It's beautiful. It's great. You plug it in, you get the data flowing, you add tags. Great. Increasingly, as we sort of get the early majority and sort of the market is growing and we get users that are a little newer, they need a lot more help. And so they're looking to us as people and as a product to help them do specific tasks and workflows. And so yeah. we're in the process of you know, updating our product roadmap to be a lot more job specific versus platform specific. And so that's kind of like where we're at in terms of an inflection point is, you know, one of the things every community does is they host events. You know, that's just as one example. Can we use Orbit to make event hosting and follow-up reporting easier? Every community does, you know, a champions program or a beta program or swag management. There's all these workflows that companies do. Can we, as a product, help them do that more effectively on a more prescriptive basis? So this is a departure from where we've been, which has been like, hey, Orbit is really flexible. You can put it together however you want. And so we'll see if we can make that shift. The generalized platform approach worked really well for early adopters, but you know, we need to address the rest of the market. So that's kind of where we're at, I would say, in terms of you know, so familiar. strategy. I mean, I come <laughs> I come from the ERP world and the product I was responsible for had exactly those type of yeah, credentials to flexibility. Mm-hmm. And you know, certain people loved it and other people hated it. And it's moving. Like you say, it's yep. the early adopters and the innovators that are prepared kind of to go into that because that is exactly what makes them stand out. The moment you kind of move towards this the larger, the early majority, it goes the other way around. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. There's always a discussion going on and there's different camps about product-led growth, sales-led growth, and possibly hybrids between that. Like, where do you position Orbit in this case? What works best for you? Yeah, so it's interesting for us because we think about that as a company, like what's going to work well for us. And then also we have an opinion in the market because our customers are also thinking through these questions. We reframe the conversation a little bit around a couple of axes. One is we draw the distinction between sales versus adoption. Sales being, you know, I'm going to call your CIO. We're going to do a deal. They're going to roll the software out and everybody's going to use it. And that's, you know, going to be what it is versus adoption, which is honestly the way we buy things as consumers. You know, we want to read reviews. We want to see what people are saying. We want to call a friend and get their recommendation. You know, if you're buying a new backpack, you're going to go to the backpack subreddit and see what the bag people are saying. Well, increasingly, that's the way people buy business software. And so, you know, adoption is sort of the trend that's driving that. Whether it's product-led, community-led, sales-led, you know, I don't know. Like for us as Orbit, we've had a lot of luck with, you know, leading with content and community and events and letting sort of that lead the way. We also think a lot about the difference between value capture and value creation. And 
this is sort of getting into CLG, PLG, whatever acronym. But really what we found is that great companies have to do both and great communities certainly do both. So value capture is existential to businesses. Obviously you have to capture value, but great communities are about value creation. And so what we have seen is that when companies and communities show up and say, what value can we create for this group of people independent of value capture, you know, what can we bring? What resources, what training, what events can we do? If you can actually disambiguate those two questions, it leads to a lot of interesting conversations internally around what projects are value capture versus value creation, which teams are working on value capture and value creation. Now, of course, you want them to be aligned. So the metaphor we use is, you know, if the sales funnel is about value capture and the orbit model is about value creation, you can almost like think of it as an ice cream cone. So the sales funnel yeah, as the cone and as the community, as the orbit gets bigger, the second order effect of that is that some of those folks, just like ice cream, will drip down into the cone. You'll capture some of that value as a second order effect. But what we see happen sometimes is that a company will try to build a community and then they start asking questions around, you know, how many leads did we get from the Discord server this week? Or how many leads did we get from the event? And it's actually the wrong question. The first question is, are we creating value for people? Is there a reason for them to come back and participate and hang out? And if you get that right, then you sort of buy the credibility to then have a conversation about sales when appropriate. So yeah, we, yeah. so before we even think about PLG, CLG, whatever, we try to say, do you know which programs and teams are working on value capture and value creation? Can you start there and figure out where you actually are creating value for your community? You know, Then from there, you, we could talk about are you community-led or not? But I think for me, it's fun to think about those fundamental layers around which teams are working on which things from the perspective of the community member. So, But for Orbit, I mean, yeah, community is a huge part of our go-to-market. The product itself, you know, we have a pretty nice, durable, bottom-up motion where somebody tries the product for free. They maybe swipe a credit card for you know a couple hundred bucks, a thousand bucks a month. And then our enterprise sales team basically says, hey, did you know... We have all these great enterprise features. Would you like to work with our customer success team? And our sales motion is pretty product-led. So our reps are basically talking to existing Orbit users and just upselling them to more packages, you know, that they can take advantage of. Yeah, that's what it makes really happen. I mean, yeah, yeah, and I completely forgot about it because you got product-led growth, sales-led growth. But of course, the big one is, of course, also community-led growth, where the community helps to onboard their peers. And of course, if you've got a real good community that are fans of the product, they are very happy to help each other out. Yeah. Very interesting. Out of everything that you created so far, has there been any surprising byproduct that you didn't expect? I think we, I would say I'm probably most surprised by the diversity of community types that have come to use Orbit. As you probably inferred, my co-founder and I have kind of grown up in developer community world, developer companies. So and today, the majority of our revenue is from you know companies like MuleSoft, Okta, Stripe, Vercel, PayPal, GitHub, like the companies like that. But increasingly, and especially coming out of the pandemic, we've seen adoption from communities of almost every type. So developer companies, of course, but also companies like Patreon and Miro that are very community-driven you know, organizations overall, yeah. but also Web3, like every sector, like DAOs, NFTs, protocols, you name it. But then beyond that, nonprofits, education, schools, universities, individual creators, associations, membership groups, we've kind of seen it all. And so it's pretty fun to sit at the confluence of that like community as an idea 
and see it all happen kind of firsthand. It's been very cool to see that. That's been surprising. We didn't know we would see that sort of broad adoption. I mean, that said, our, our sort of focus and our go-to-market is pretty tightly on like developer companies and B2B SaaS. But because we have a generous free tier, it means a lot of people can get a lot of value. And so puts us in some pretty interesting conversations. So yeah, it's been surprising to see that. The growth of Web3 communities has been maybe not surprising giving the macro, but it was like just one day, all of a sudden we were signing up, you know, dozens of Web3 companies a week. It was just sort of out of nowhere. So pretty cool to see that happen as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you made already the point about the pandemic. So you started September 19, then five, six months later, this whole thing happens. Not sure whether you actually had gone to market at that point in time, because that is a really short time. But since I'm writing uh, my second book about the big lessons that we could learn, like that we can learn about not only, you know, surviving a crisis, but actually coming out better. Is there anything worth sharing here? Like, what did you learn from being actually exposed yeah, to something as big as that? Yeah, I think we were fortunate because we were so early. We hadn't begun scaling the team. You know, it was me, my co-founder. We hired our first engineer. I'm going to say like around May or June of 2020. So yeah, basically as the pandemic was unfolding, you know, our approach was basically just keep building product and manage burn, you know, don't take on any additional risk from the financial standpoint. We opened up our kind of like early alpha access middle of 2020, I want to say. And what we found is that the conversation around community accelerated by like two years within two months because... Basically, every company, whether they realize it or not, they now have to do community online because field marketing events, in-person stuff had gone away. And so now everybody's asking, what do we do now? And so events like online events were sort of the proxy for community for a lot of companies. Like they said, oh, wow, we just did this webinar and up, you know, thousand people showed up. What next? Well, maybe we should get a forum together and get them talking and like do some follow-up events. And we saw for us, the pandemic accelerated awareness of the problem space by, yeah, by 18 to 24 months. And so the content we were doing, the sort of conversations we were having were just turned out to be very relevant for the times. And so the yeah, COVID ended up being a tailwind for us. So by late 2020, we had enough, you know, we had a couple hundred companies using kind of like our beta product it was very nascent at the time, but the growth was looking pretty interesting. So yeah, September, I guess, roughly of 2020, A16Z came in and led our seed round. So it was like our first sort of large-ish infusion of capital, kind of on the back of the sort of momentum we had seen throughout that year. So yeah, I mean, I guess overall lessons were just manage burn, <laughs> obviously, yeah, yeah. give yourself flexibility to be reactive. So we, like I said, we did make that one hire, but it was pretty strategic and we were thoughtful about it. We didn't make four hires. We were as deliberate as possible with regard to you know our cash outlay there. And yeah, I wish there were some more lessons than that. I think we just happened to be in the right place at the right time. That's also, I think, that's the main conclusion here because it's too early to say, okay, the market shifted in an area that we didn't expect. It came actually, it came to watch you. Maybe Christian yeah. is at the end, like, how do you then make decisions in terms of what you focus on and what you don't focus on? Oh my I, gosh. I, I, yeah, can, the, I can imagine you're like the inbound exploding. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse for us because we have, yeah. you know, today we have thousands of companies using Orbit, you know, many, you know, approaching 10,000 users across those companies. Our customers are managing 35 or 40 million community members across all of their communities. So we've seen some pretty cool scale. And it means that there is no shortage of product input and ideas and what to do next. And so, 
some of it comes back to what I was discussing earlier around the product and the platform being more prescriptive. So I think we've, you know, the role of any product organization is to take the inputs and distill it. And it's a blend of what people want to pay for and what we think is the right thing for the category. And so a couple of things we try to do, there's actually two parts of what we have to do. So one is we have to help our users actually grow their community. So that's helping them engage more people to onboard people more effectively, to send messages, to welcome people, to do better targeting and segmentation. There's all these tactics we can use to help people actually take their community from hundreds of people to thousands of people, et cetera. Because our customers are inside of bigger companies, they have to also prove that it's working. They have to talk about ROI and ops and scaling and all this sort of stuff. So not only do we have to help them grow the community, we have to help them prove it. And so this is like reporting and analytics and tying community outcomes back to business value. And so, you know, we have a connector for Salesforce, for HubSpot. So you can actually start to see, okay, that the folks that are coming to our meetups in the community are actually twice as likely to convert to a paid plan. You know, this sort of like cohorting you can do. And so we actually have to do, we have to do both. We have to help people grow the community. We have to help people prove it and measure it. And so that's kind of like our heuristic and basically everything goes into those two buckets. And so then it's just a question within those buckets of, well, how do we prove ROI? Like which CRM do we integrate with and what are the features and how do we help people grow to the community? And like, what are the steps we take to help them actually do that? And then it's just a prioritization exercise. That's, you know, pretty classic PM stuff, you know, like impact scale, things like that. So, but yeah, helping people grow the community and prove it is kind of like the two parts of our flywheel that we think a lot about. Yeah. And I like the way you say that because at the end it's about, you know, the value creation it's about value for your customers rather than anything else it's coming back from what yeah what are, what are the critical pains that you're solving so i mean impressed that you already have thousands of customers on the platform like what were the big lessons learned from getting to the first hundred for us it was a fairly i don't know for maybe a common story where we fortunately were very lucky to have a very strong network of our own from the consulting practice also from being in san francisco and kind of being close to the tech scene here the first couple hundred customers were, yeah, were entirely word of mouth. Some of them we knew, some of them were referral. And Orbit's growth today has been almost entirely organic, content-led, community-led, bottoms up. We haven't done big campaigns or we haven't done outbound sales. So early on, it was it was a blend of you know talking to people we knew already personally or through the consulting, but also the Orbit model as an idea was really resonant. Like, it was a compelling story. It was a compelling concept for people. And so the path for a lot of our early adopters was they heard about the Orbit model as an idea, read the website about the framework, and then realized, oh, there's software that actually helps apply this. So like, I want to try it. So we were also one of the first companies to build tools for developer relations like as an industry. And so we, because we were doing that, it was on a lot of people's radar because we were the first to say, hey, this emerging discipline is going to be a big, important thing. It needs a platform to operationalize it the same way sales has sales tools and marketing has marketing tools. Somebody's going to figure this out for developer relations and for community. And so just that opinion alone, I think was compelling enough for a lot of people to come and sign up because nobody had really said that before. So, yeah. No, that brings me at the end also to like, what have you, I mean, as an specialist in the community world, what is a critical component that you should not underestimate in order to build a community that, you know, that creates that momentum? So I think to build a during community, I think it really starts with community discovery, almost like product discovery. And so, you know, if you talk to a founder, 
there's a whole rigorous process for doing product discovery and customer discovery. You go talk to a hundred customers, you, you know, take that feedback and you're very intentional about understanding the customer, the product, the market. I think great communities do the same thing for community early on. So one of the things we encourage people to do is join other communities that are adjacent to the one you're thinking about starting and understand what are the conversations that are happening in those communities and what are the gaps? Like, what are people talking about that the needs they're expressing that aren't being met? Maybe it's educational, maybe it's about meeting certain people, but you know, if you spend time, if you spend three or six months in other communities, you're going to learn a lot about the way that that community talks about their norms and their values, about their challenges and about the opportunities. And you almost take an anthropological approach to understanding who these people are and what they're struggling with. And then inevitably there will be some overlap in the Venn diagram of what your potential community members are struggling with and what your company can do about that. And so this gets back to the value creation question about, you know, how do we provide as much value for these people as possible? So if you know that early on, you know, if you're forming a new community around an idea, you can almost do almost like community positioning or brand positioning around, okay, we're going to build a community for these people with these challenges and here's why. And bringing a lot of intentionality to the design early on is really, really meaningful because it helps you make decisions about what you do, what you don't do. What we see if a failure case is often for like B2B startups, especially it's like, oh, we're building a startup that's all about, I don't know, like feature flag management for your, my software. And so let's start a community about that idea. And that's sort of like the only thought they give it. It's like, we need a community. So we're going to start a community. And so let's, the question a lot of people ask is like, oh, I want to start a new community. Should I use Discord or should I use Discourse? Or what should I do? It gets very tactical. It's like, well, let's classically, let's start with why. Let's back up and talk about why anybody would care about your new community. And so we encourage people that are starting from the ground up to really be intentional and thoughtful about doing the discovery process. We have an article on our blog about doing community discovery and like walking through these processes and really getting honest with the value you can bring to the table. And that is a great way to catalyze your first few dozen community members from there, you know, building out once you have your initial core is, is a lot easier. But we yeah. think back to the early orbit community, you know, a lot of the folks that were very active early on are still active today. They're paying customers. They're the ones that show up for our events. They're always willing to give feedback. And, you know, the other failure case that we often see is people want to go too big, too fast, but early communities with like 20, 30, 40, 50 people, it's such a magical time. So starting small is great. That is also like my starting small makes it also easier to start. But I mean, I completely realize how difficult it is. And it is really about like understanding the struggles and how you can create something that each of these community members cannot solve, easily solve on their own. But as a community, they can. That's where I think a lot of the magic will happen. Yeah, totally. Good. I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. In that book, I'm talking about traits that I see help to create a software business that people start talking about and then keep talking about. We already talked about, well, kind of the essence of community, but Building your own software business, what do you believe are yeah, the essential traits that you like focus on yeah, to be sustainable and to create something that's yeah, that creates the right vibe? I think it's, you know, there's internal and external components here. So much of it starts with our own team and being just thoughtful about the people and the culture. It's hard to describe this in retrospect. I guess, you know, there's a lot of survivorship bias, maybe, I guess, I don't know. But yeah, our team is some of the traits I mentioned earlier about myself, you know, curious and empathetic, you know, kind, that's the culture we have, you know, so yeah. our team members are curious about the problem set. They are wildly customer oriented. 
we have our engineering managers in our own community talking to customers and community members about everything, about community building, about the product itself. And it's pretty cool for individuals who are kind of like far down in the stack of the organization, you know, engineers shipping database stuff, you know, they love the stuff. And so the attraction to building a, a category defining company is compelling for people, but doing it specifically in the context of community has attracted very awesome people. I would say, you know, the mission has been very helpful to attracting people who are excited about the things we're doing. So, I mean, maybe if we were building an accounting software, while that is a very important category, maybe doesn't, I don't know, I'm not sure, but you know, we've been fortunate that our team is just incredible and they're very customer driven and they're very curious. So I think that's a huge part of it is making sure that the internal team is aligned and has the right culture. And then that comes to life in community conversations and in the product and the way people do their work. Yeah. I mean, I mean, talking about curiosity, it's, it's trait number four in my book. So it's definitely a very, very important <laughs> one. Not, not only the curiosity of, of the founder, it's exactly everybody in the organization has that right sense of curiosity. Things will just flow better. Well, I see that we're getting towards the bottom of the hour. From the lessons that you've learned over time now, like being CEO of Orbit for three years, the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained, what would be a do or what would be a don't for peers, for people that aspire to kind of build a company like this or that really want to create new energy for the company? I think some of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately on maybe the do side and the don't side, I guess, self-care is incredibly important, both for us as founders and CEOs, but also for our team. I've found that when I'm not at my best, it impacts everything in the business, You know, my energy, how I show up my own curiosity. Curiosity takes energy, I think, at least for me. And if I haven't taken any time off, then I, I'm not able to be effective. And I've been thinking, especially the past few months, just about you know being able to take space for myself and you know step away and come back refreshed so I can actually you know be my best self and elevate and support the team. So just a plus one to all of the other <laughs> founders out there who might be telling themselves that there's no time to take any time off. It has a leveraged impact. And if I've reframed it to think about, you know, time off as like, it's a leverage for the company. So I may take a long weekend, but it actually means I'm 10 times more effective the next two weeks. So that actually that one day is actually a pretty huge investment. If I can then, you know, make everybody more effective. The other thing is, okay. well, may sound obvious too, is just the importance of just like aggressive communication of company, like strategy and values. I mean, Orbit's, you know, we're like 32 people. And as we're navigating this shift, I mentioned earlier from kind of thinking like a platform to thinking like specific product use cases, things like that, you know, it's like, it's kind of a, it's like a cultural sort of product strategy change. And it's easy for me to think, okay, well, you know, we're only 30 people. Everybody's kind of on the same page. And then you go and talk to everybody and it's, it's not, it's just a great reminder for me. I mean, it's, I recently did a round of one-on-ones with everybody in the company and that's, I'm trying to do that quarterly. That's been really meaningful just to take 20 or 30 minutes with the whole team. And it's great like to hear what people are thinking and struggling with and their questions and, you know, just relentless communication of the big picture is like insanely important. Again, sounds obvious. It's in every business book you read, but you know, yeah, but it's, oh it's my a- God. Yeah. It's <laughs> saying it's one thing, doing it is the other one. Yeah, I agree with you. The moment you don't do it, everybody's going their own direction, full speed, but you don't get the velocity oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that you want. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for this. I've learned a lot. I am sure that the people listening to this podcast have done the same. 
Thank you for explaining the journey and the lessons that you've learned. I like the take that you have on certain things. I would definitely encourage people to explore what benefits community can bring to their business. Where can people go to find out more about Orbit? Orbit yeah, uh, so and, um, yeah, orbit.love. Yeah, orbit.love is our website. That's right. It's .love. And you can find me on Twitter at Patrick J. Woods. So I tweet about community building, founder stuff, startup stuff. So happy to keep the conversation going there as well. Well, thank you very much. What a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been a very fun conversation. So thanks for having me on. And this ends my conversation with Patrick. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. If it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Patrick Woods, co-founder and CEO of Orbit. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.